Monday afternoon. I'm Brock Winstead. Welcome to the Eastern Shore. Today on the show, a rebroadcast of an interview from a few months ago. But with a little update this time around. Last November, I interviewed Leah Reich. She's a writer, she lives in Berkeley. We talked about how she started writing professionally what she was up to at the time, and, and where she thought she might be headed. We also talked for a while about her advice column, Ask Leah, that she wrote for gaming and entertainment website IGN about for about two and a half years, starting in January of 2000. Leah told me about how important that experience was for her and for the people, mostly teenage boys, who wrote to her and received thoughtful, humane, and helpful answers to questions they didn't feel like they had anyone else in their lives to ask. I'm replaying this interview today because just this past weekend the news came out that Leah is restarting, resurrecting the Ask Leah advice column. This time around it'll be published by The Verge. The questions probably won't come mostly from teenage guys. There will almost certainly be other differences too, but Leah, I'm sure, will still give thoughtful, humane, helpful answers to people's personal questions. In an introductory installment published on Saturday, Leah wrote that the column will be about how to go out and be a human being in the world, on your phones, on the internet, and in whatever comes next. And that sounds like something that I, I think we could all use a little help with from time to time. 
I think my conversation with Leah from last November offers a bit more of a preview about what you of, of what you can expect from her advice column. So here is that interview from last November with Leah Reich, who is, I'm happy to say, once again, the author of the advice column, Ask Leah, now at TheVerge.com. Enjoy. <laughs> Leah is a writer and editor who lives in Berkeley. She has a PhD in sociology from UC Irvine and a master's in communication, culture, and technology from Georgetown. She was most recently putting all those degrees to use working for a technology firm while writing regularly on a freelance basis, including a weekly essay series that she's called A Year of Wednesdays, which we will definitely talk more about in a bit. She is also, in addition to being a great writer, a top-notch human being all around, and I'm happy to have her here. Leah Reich, welcome to the Eastern Shore. Hi, thank you. I love when people say nice things about me. We can do that whole thing again later. Oh, good. Yeah, no. It's, I'm, if we run out of things to say, we'll just start from the top. No one will notice. No one will notice. Yeah. So I called you a writer and an editor. What do you call yourself? Uh, a, a writer. Okay. And, well, a writer and a, actually, I usually call myself um, a, a writer and an ethnographer uh-huh. because I trained as an ethnographer and I do ethnography and ethnography um, informs a lot of what I do. I'm also, I do uh, some editing work, which actually just reminded me of something I have to go home and do. Oh, good. We <laughs> like to make sure that people are up on their to-do lists right. on this program. I mean, I, 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 th- I think of myself, like when I think of, my, even at my last job, I, you know, I had this job and I've, I, I did that work for a couple of years. I was a design researcher and a user researcher, but I would always think of myself first as a writer. Even when I'm working as an editor, I just, I actually start, I just think of myself as a writer. Most people know, or at least have some idea of what being a writer entails. What about the ethnographer part of that? Well, you forgot also being a writer means being awake at 2.30 in the morning thinking, why did I do this? Like, what? what is wrong with me as a human being and why did I choose this? Right. And, and then hating everything that you produce um, as soon as it's done. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I don't do full ethnographies anymore because, uh-huh. number one, I'm not an academic. Um, number two, I don't work as a that kind of a researcher. Uh, number three, I'm, I'm not. It, it's they're long and time consuming and, um, and expensive. Um, well, they can be, I mean, research itself doesn't have to be expensive and certainly not qualitative research. It's like mm. the, the thing that people don't understand is that, you know, they think, Oh, qualitative research, it's expensive and doesn't give you good results, which is not true. I shall disabuse everyone of that notion, but uh, <laughs> ethnography itself is, um, it's understanding why and how people do things in context. So in the natural state that they might normally be, um, or exist, uh, and you you want to get a richer, deeper understanding of their behaviors and their actions, uh, and their perspectives and and ways of understanding things, um, whatever your topic might be. And it's it's not the kind of research where you say I have I have this kind of question and I have a hypothesis and I'm going to narrow it down and I'm going to look at my results. It's the kind of research where you go in and you you certainly will have some hypotheses and you'll have some ideas and some ways of understanding the world, but you want to get a, a greater sense so that you can start to learn as much what sorts of questions you should or shouldn't be asking um, mm-hmm. as it is about specifically getting to those answers in particular. And so I, I took this workshop from this guy. I think his, like, his name is Nick Wolf. So mm-hmm. um, he's in Santa Barbara. And he said something really great that has always stuck with me about, um, so I, of course, immediately stole it mm, yes. <laughs> um, with credit. And he says he said that in, in quantitative research, we are measuring something that has already been defined. And he said in qualitative research, which I really loved, he said, we are 
defining that which we want to measure. You know, and, sure. and so you don't know what you want it is that you want to measure until you you are able to go out and define it. And that's the kind of work you did when I was in grad school. Yeah, in grad when school. I, like I did it. I was on a project, and then I did um, a dissert. I did an ethnography for my dissertation. And now you write. All right. And, and oh, so how do those one inform the other? Is well, that what sure. Which it basically it's very it's it. I got used to watching people. Like when you do an ethnography, you, you talk to people and you ask them lots of questions and you, you know, you sit there and you mm. interview them. So that's part of it. So it's usually there's multiple methods that you use, like you triangulate your data, you maybe collect some, re- you know, institutional research, you know, or you interview them. But there's also a lot of participant observation. So I got really used to sitting and watching people like I would watch them just do their job for mm. four hours, like in a medical office. Mm-hmm. Right. And I love watching people. It's like it yeah. allows me to be. It sort of allows me to be like a creep with a reason, right? I love <laughs> staring at people and watching them. That's what we all want. All of us creeps. We just want a reason. <laughs> but it's like, it, like watching people is fascinating, right? Yeah. But the, and it, like, then they catch you and you're like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. But you're not looking at them because you're, you're looking at them because they're interesting, because they're human, because they're doing whatever it is that humans do wherever they are. And it's like some people do things that are weird or more interesting or more subtle or whatever. Some and, people just sit. So people just sit and they're fun to watch when they sit. So I start, I I think it's the ways in which I started watching the world and seeing it and also describing it, which was less about, which is simultaneously more about the details and less about the assumptions. Mm. So, So, and then that kind of helped me start to think about things differently. Was there a point in your life when you thought, said, decided, I'm going to be a writer? No. You just sort of fell into that? When I was... In my 20s, actually, this is, is totally embarrassing, but I'm going to say this anyway. And I was in my 20s, and I was working, um, and I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, what I wanted to do with my life. I was pretty recently out of college. I mean, I'd written, I wrote a play when I was nine. I'd written when I was younger. Like, I'd written stuff, and I'd written bad poet, really terrible high school poetry, um, which I, I'm pretty sure got destroyed in one of my parents' moves, and I'm mm-hmm. deeply grateful. <laughs> deeply, because yeah. it was really bad. So I got the, eventually got a job at a place called Imagine Media, which still publishes magazines. But I worked on the online portion, which eventually became IGN.com. And I remember thinking that I, so I did I did work that was not I didn't I did managerial, like, mm-hmm. you know, managing affiliate. This is when your outside affiliates gave you the bulk of your web traffic. This was ah. in the Stone Ages of the mm-hmm. <laughs> of Web 1.0. Um, like before Web 1.0 was really a defined as a thing. Uh-huh. It was just about to be one. This was like 1997, 1998. And mm-hmm. I remember thinking like the writers were s- and the editors were so much more fun. Uh-huh. And I knew that it was sort of that moment. And I actually was talking about this with someone the other day. It was We were at a big company meeting and Chris Anderson was giving a speech at the front of the room. And he was, you know, rallying all of us. And there was like, the, of course, like the one group of like the writers and editors were sitting at this table and we were like, rolling our eyes which is of course just being just the worst and i just remember thinking it was simultaneously a recognition of like i want to sit in the back i want to be at the back of the room kids mm-hmm. which is terrible i mean it's this very <laughs> terrible thing to confess <laughs> but, now you all know yeah. i'm an idiot um but very human <laughs> it's very watch. human yeah. right but there was also this i think recognition that i came to understand later which is that like i i'm an enormously enthusiastic open-hearted person like i'm like yay i get really jazzed about stuff mm-hmm. but i also have a healthy dose of skepticism right mm-hmm. and so when the, someone gets up and they're like 
well, I'm not going to repeat this speech because sure. uh, it, it was but it was pretty funny. But it was just sort of like how we're all working together and we're part of this thing. We're building something really special, which I, I believed because we worked really hard. And we really did believe we were building something special. But I think there was also this like, I'm not good at buying in at that level. And I think that that's what kind of is really interesting about being a writer is that a lot of people are buying in and it's not that you're like better or worse or not or different. It's just that I think like, I want to like, I want to look at the buying in. I want to understand it. I want to get a better sense of it. I want to write about it. I don't necessarily want to, I mean, I might be buying in, but I'm not sure like, and I just was like, hang on, I'm not that person. So I think that that was the kind of realization when I wanted to start doing that. And then when I came out of grad school and I was working as a researcher for a while, I just realized that it wasn't that I was like, I, I've always wanted to be a writer since I was a kid. I was just like that it came, it, I, I came, found my way back to it and realized that I had strayed from home. You ended up at IGN, uh, figured out you wanted to sit in the back of the room with the writers, and you ended up writing there. Yeah. Um, and was that because you said to them, hey, I want to do this thing? So I started writing because I, I said that I did. I told them I wanted to transition to editorial. Also mm. because the job I was doing, so I was managing the affiliates. It was like corralling talent, but in a weird kind of awkward difficult way and then <laughs> did we deliver on the ad revenue that was prom and all these sorts of things and i had i'd worked in marketing and recognized it was a terrible fit for me yeah and then i you know i think i was i realized that like i liked doing the contract negotiations and i was good at it mm-hmm. but i also at some level was not great at I, I just didn't want to constantly be sort of like in this business mode i wanted to to, to write i wanted to make stuff it wasn't just about sitting in the back of the room it was sure. also about like i want to make stuff I, I really miss it. Like it, it's also fun. There's like a com- and there was a real camaraderie in the editors writers area that felt like we're ma- we're like doing something together rather than managing this these these other people. And so, so, I, so you you said I want to do that, yeah. and they and they said sure. Why well, don't you transitioned editorial? Was that an easy thing to sell on? on it wasn't too hard because I'd been doing it for a while, and yeah. I also become like the editor in chief was a really became a really close friend of mine mm. and. Um, I think they recognized after a while that I just, I was going to burn out on this other job. And so I, um, so I said I wanted to move to editorial and I, I moved over and I was working on IGN TV, which was great because I didn't even have a TV at the time, <laughs> but I was still writing for TV. And then just doing like other f- fun stuff. Um, I remember I interviewed Mila Kunis when she was still on that 70s show. <laughs> and I was, you know, she was like super, it was like her, the, the one thing she was doing and it was very new. They were all, they were children. They were all, yeah, they were young. Yeah, this is like 1998, 1999. Yeah. And I did some other fun stuff. I, inter- yeah, I, uh, although later it was later after I was already doing that column. Um, mm. I interviewed Duff McKagan of Guns, ex of Guns N' Roses. Mm-hmm, mm. But then that was the interview that I did when I learned that you should always test before you do an interview because I only recorded myself. It was oh, a phone whoops. interview. Yeah. Yeah. That was a fun lesson. Oh, see, now you're like describing my nightmares. It was like... a fun lesson. Especially because it was a really good interview. Like he was cooing at his, I had, I had him recorded cooing at his baby. It was really great. Oh, that's a hard, Be, like, heartbreaking yeah. story. Yeah. Flirting with me a little bit, like in a nice, like in a, sure. you know, not in a, I mean, it, he shouldn't have been, but it was like, whatever. But it was still, it was like, oh my God, it was all on tape. It was amazing. Um, oh. Yeah. So that happened. So, and then like I was sort of doing TV stuff. I was doing other things. I was kind of helping around on the site. And then I did the holiday game guide and. You know, the guy started writing to me because I was the only woman in the masthead. So you started getting emails and letters. Yeah, from lots of dudes. And you started answering them. I did. I started doing a mailbag. Um, and like a letters column. I called like, I think I called it like the mailbag or something because mm-hmm. nobody else was doing it. And like the readers really like loved us and like wanted to engage a lot. And they mm-hmm. saw everybody's different kinds of personalities. And um, 
so I started answering them and I would talk about like what was I listening to and what were you listening to music wise because I loved I was really really heavily into music at the time mm. um I don't know we just started like chatting about things in video games and this and that and, like what would we know what do we play in the, the office and one day one of them was like well I don't really have anyone else to ask this and you seem pretty nice I'm gonna ask you and he asked me about a girl and that was the sort of watershed moment of <laughs> <laughs> Um, that was when it all changed. When for it you. all changed, when I really did. I remember like getting this email, and he was the first one who did it. And I thought, like, you know, we IGN certainly had a tone. It was like, mm. you know, sarcastic and sure. kind of mean sometimes, and like lots of jokes and the whole, you know, whatever video games and stuff. And then I thought, well, like, kids, what, fourteen, fifteen? I mean, I was only twenty-four at the time, mm. maybe. I thought, what do I do? Do I like make fun of him? What do I? And I thought, well, you know, there's like. I mean, there were there were a couple. There weren't that many advice columns hanging around at the time. There I mean, and, and those that were most well known were these kind of old fashioned. There were the style. old fashioned ones, and then there was Dan Savage, right? And like E. Jean Carroll, mm-hmm. who's like mm-hmm. a legend, but she's in Elle magazine. And they're obviously not reading Elle magazine. I mean, there were a couple around. They were just like scattered, and they weren't that available. And they were, or they were, they were either things like more old fashioned. They were like Dan Savage, where every like he would like go ham on people, yeah. and still, I mean, but like, but really, and I was thinking, so I was like, so I could like totally make fun of this guy. Or I could be really nice. And I thought, like, if I make fun of him, it's, like, part and parcel of what we do. But then I was like, that just seems kind of mean. because Probably he has enough of that in, his, in real life. Or, well, yeah. I also just thought, like, this guy, like, took, you know, he kind of went up, took a flyer. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. he, sent a, he sent a stranger a question about a girl. A stranger who works at a video game website. Yeah. I was like, maybe I should just be nice to him. So I answered him. I answered him sincerely. Mm-hmm. And then I remember everybody saying wow, you were really nice. That was really nice. And then I just started answering more letters, and then I started getting more and more letters, and then at some point I sort of convinced the editorial team that I could do its own, I could make it its own thing, and I was writing a feature a week. I wrote about, like, you know, what you should get your girlfriend for the holidays, or I was like, I mean, it was like top 10 lists before top 10 lists were mm. like a thing. I was like, yeah. you know, top, like the, the 10 things, like you know, 10 things to consider when buying your girlfriend at uh, like a, a Christmas so, gift. It was like how to get out of the doghouse. Okay. This was like 1999. Yeah. I wrote about STD. Like I did a, a whole series on STDs huh. um, and like what they are and what, what each one is and what symptoms, you know, like all the stuff and like stuff about safe sex. And I think like in retrospect, it was pretty bananas that I was doing this <laughs> for like for like 15 year old boys. Um, but I was, and they needed and there, it. And nobody was telling you. Nobody, nobody was, was telling me not to. Yeah. No. And also, like, I mean, the state of sex education in this company in country mm. is appalling. Yeah. So, like, there's they, a need. They didn't know that. Like, yeah. I would get these constant questions. Like, I have these bumps, and like, like literally <laughs> right. every human being. And also, there's not like there was something so utterly human about it. Because like, yeah. I'm sorry, there is not a single human being on this planet who has not been in the bathroom going. Oh my god! I am definitely dying. Definitely, or like something's gonna, or like I'm, I'm cursed. Like this is it. Yeah. This is the end of the world. And like, or whatever it is. Like, or like convince themselves that like there was something else going on. Yeah. And been like staring like in the bathroom, like locked in the bathroom with a mirror in some contorted position, being like, what is it? And I don't want to tell. I'm so ashamed. And like, there's this whole like all the shame and yeah. stigma and fear that comes wrapped up in like sex and all of the attendant experiences. And I just was like, if I can help you not feel this so this was ask leah this, this was became this was ask leah last ask leah yeah and, and then i had two other columns and okay. then a feature a week but ask leah was really the center it was clearly a, a formative project for you mm-hmm. and really important to your audience it was it was it was a big deal for a lot of people yeah. how long did you write ask leah for two and a half years 
every week? Every day. I did I did Ask Leah five days a week. I did a feature a week. I did recycle some of my features because I did I finally experienced that like like old old school Cosmo fatigue. I felt like because I remember I used to read Cosmo or see it on the, mm-hmm, the newsstand mm-hmm. and think like I feel like ten sex positions you should know about was like six months ago. Right. But then I started to understand like there's only so many things we talk about right. um, for a fifteen year old boy. Yeah. I mean especially. Because, like, there, there were certain limitations I did have to adhere to. I'm sure you got a bunch of emails where you, what you really wanted to say was, do you not read this column? Oh, yeah. Because you no. answered the same question. Like, every week. Every yeah. week I would get the same. I was like, no, definitely not. But everyone wants to. But that was really when I started to realize, that like, everybody, everybody's like, yes, I'm reading. Even if they are reading or even if they're not, it doesn't matter. Because once it's your problem, it feels like the most oh, sure. important problem in the world. But it also feels like the only time anyone has ever had this problem. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I did it for two and a half years. I did it five days a week. Um, I did some other letters columns too. Mm-hmm. Like if I get harder questions, I do tough love. Mm. A lot of the, like, what, what are these bumps? I put in a, a column called what's up with my penis. Yeah. And I did different features and like, I don't even remember everything I wrote. I lost everything. It was on a computer that, um, unfortunately someone accidentally spilled a Diet Coke into before I was, you know, more many years ago before I really had a solid backup plan. Yeah. Um, I mean, this was like over a decade ago. And uh, it's sort of a shame because a lot of the Ask Leaders, you can go get most of it on, you can find most of it on um, Internet Archive, right, the Wayback yeah. Machine. But yeah, if someone would like to give Leah a gift. You just compile all my clips from the, uh, that, that two and a half year period. Right, and, and send them your way. Sometimes three columns a day and a feature a week. So you did that for two and a half years, um, answering personal questions sexual questions many times from mm-hmm. uh, 14 15 16 year old guys sometimes, sometimes guys in their older. 20s yeah, and their 30s older. but mostly our our age range was 13 to 18 or like 13 to 20 something or other 22 well so you did that for two and a half years mm-hmm. and then i got laid off it was my second layoff in the first the dot com bust. bust yeah so i'd gotten laid off before which was how i'd sort of made my way into i got laid off from my first job out of college got my second job and then IGN poached me from there mm. and then I got laid off the second time which was from IGN that was in 2001 and I was about to start grad school so I was just about to go to to Georgetown so you already had the plan to go to grad school yeah and I had yeah. I had been living in New York for six months writing and bartending um and just sort of figuring things out and I, I thought you know I'm gonna go to grad school and so I got into grad school magically <laughs> and then I went and I got laid off and so I just sort of disappeared into grad school and then when I was at Georgetown I decided that a PhD was a thing that I needed to do, and specifically a PhD in sociology. And so then I sort of... What, well, why, why that decision? Did you think you were going to go profess? Yeah, I, I, like, I love to teach. I think teaching oh. is really great. I really was really into, this is an embarrassing confession, but I was really heavily into theory at the time, which I still sort of have a big fondness for. And so I thought like, oh, I thought, you know, I want theory, but I want a little bit more data. I mean, I was really like that... I really liked doing stuff about, you know, like writing about and talking about theoretical and interesting and, you know, cultural criticism. And I was really big into that kind of yeah. stuff. So I thought I should probably stay in school. And so, I mean, I really did have, there was this sort of moment where I was doing this other program besides all of my sort of literary and cultural criticism sort of stuff. And I was doing a completely separate program at Georgetown, um, in international business, an honors certificate in international business diplomacy, which I took because I thought it was super fascinating. So my choice was, do I stay at Georgetown for one more semester and just like finish the last class or two because I'd started it late and actually get the certificate or do I go on to do a PhD? And a professor who was not very 
good at communicating said to me, don't do the PhD unless you absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, love research and teaching. Like, unless Mm -hmm. those are the things that drive you. Because it's not about sitting around pontificating being smart. Mm. It's about doing research and writing papers. Producing these things. Yes. And I sort of was like, I heard him saying, like, don't. I was sort of at that phase in my life where it was sort of like someone says, don't. And I'm supposed to be like, just watch me. Thinking that he was trying to do something because he was being an asshole, which is entirely possibly sort of was that kind of guy. And I wasn't sure if he was saying like, I don't think you have it in you. And I think of there was a little me that was like, oh, you don't think. Oh, do you? Yeah. And so I, I went on to do the PhD and I almost quit uh, after the second year. I really didn't like it. And someone convinced me to stay. I learned a lot, so I'm glad that I stayed to do sure. ethnography. Uh, I'm glad I have a PhD. I mean, these are all these are like there's nothing negative about it. Well, it's interesting because in the tech world, I feel like there are negatives about it. But anyway, long story short, I came out of school and I just had a really hard time finding a job. And part of it was that like because I heard a lot of these misconceptions, which included things like, well, I just don't think that graduate students and PhDs in particular work collaboratively very well. <laughs> they tend to be very slow, so that's a red flag for us. Why did you stay in academia so long if you you know like like you were there for a long time. And I was like, it would take a while to do a PhD. Mm. So you did, uh, was it two years at Georgetown? Two years at Georgetown and then, and then eight, eight years. And, and I'm, I'm sure these things can be leveled against many PhDs, sure. but I also felt like I'm not being given a chance to do any, like, and I wasn't asking for like, I have, I'm Dr. Reich. Therefore <laughs> you should give me all of the riches of the world. And also a corner office. But like, it was more like, I just wanted to do, this these this work and yeah. i felt sort of like i don't know why i just i i couldn't figure out why people there was there was, i found a lot of bias i found a lot of bias and like people would ask me really snide questions and just sort of be like like it just seems like you were really on an academic track like i mean can you explain that i was like right i, I got a phd and then i stopped because i want to do something different they're like well don't you think you're going to and i think that's like this i'm sure there are a lot of phds who feel like oh i didn't go on to to teach I have in some way failed. So they kind of are in their jobs with this sort of mind set of like, I would like to go back one day. And for me, I didn't want to go back to academia. I didn't, I didn't feel at home in academia. I think the only regret was that I wished I had felt at home in academia because I really thought I would. And it, it felt sad to me to have experienced that. But then I came back, I started writing while I was working and I realized, oh, that's right. That's where I feel at home is yeah. in writing itself. You still, you still felt like you, uh, belonged at the back of the room yeah. with the folks from, but I think it was less now about with the folks right. and just the act of writing felt mm-hmm. like a coming home. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the sort of mistake was that, you know, I want to hang out with the right. I mean, of course I love hanging out with, we're, we're, I was joking with somebody the other day that like we're all writers are terrible. So we deserve to, we deserve each other. But, mm-hmm. um, but I think there's that it's it was less about do I want to hang out with the writers or do I want to do this and it was less, more finally understanding that it is the act of writing that feels like coming home that feel that that's where I feel at home. I'm kind of I think I'm kind of crazy in liking the act of writing because I know there are a lot of writers who are like I hate actually writing I just like the thing that I wrote or I like having written or I like, but I really sometimes enjoy actually enjoy writing it. How did I realize I don't. Well, let's, let's just take it as read that that makes you the weirdo. It was totally <laughs> fine. I mean, <laughs> there are many other things. <laughs> uh, but you have been doing some freelance writing while also having yeah. kind of a you know, full-time job jobs yeah. over the past few years. Uh, the longest-term project, it, sounds like, it seems like you've had for a while, is over the course of the past year, mm-hmm. the calendar year, mm-hmm. you've been writing an essay every week yeah. called A Year of Wednesdays. You yeah. publish every Wednesday on medium.com. Mm-hmm. Well, and you started 
on January 1st. You published the first one uh, and have done it every week. Uh, you haven't, I don't I think haven't you've missed, missed a week, a week no, which I is a, a an unfathomable <laughs> discipline. I, I don't know how anyone does that, but good for you. Thanks. So why, why'd you start that project? I had been writing freelance and I had been doing some, some pieces here and there and I, it had been a lot of fun. And then I had decided that I really wanted to get back into sort of editorial and writing more full time. And so I applied for this job and I interviewed and then I didn't get it. You know, of course, I felt bad because rejection is garbage and nobody enjoys it <laughs> right. at any level. Um, even if it's like the last thing on earth you would ever want, getting rejected still sort of sucks. Yeah. I'd been really excited and like pretty hopeful. And so I thought, oh, no, you know, I'm really sort of fired up. And I was talking at the time to a therapist who was a really, really, really smart person. She, I told her all my big plans for the next year of writing and what I was going to do and how I was going to show them and what, I don't know, blah, 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 or some, or something, some sort of cool, cool plan that, of course, is not going to come to fruition. You're, you're gonna, whatever it was, you're going to light everything on fire. Yep. Um, and uh, you're going to see the flames in the sunglasses that I threw over my head as I walked away. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. So she looked at me and she said, well, that sounds like a lot of pressure to put on yourself. Mm. And I said, yeah, but I could totally do it. <laughs> I got this. I got high, this. High points in therapy. Uh, Violet <laughs> Rush. And um, so she said, well, but I, I, want, I want you to do one thing. And I want, this, I want you to make sure that you write. You make, you, you, you make sure that you write because you love it. Because the reason you want to you write is because you love it. And it was smarter than I realized at the time because I think it was sort of that. It was like a test. It was kind of like... If you really love writing, you will do it no matter what. And, you know, I think there are a lot of writers who say, like, I can't not write. And mm. um, and I, I am sort of that person. I've never been good at keeping a diary. I'm not good at sort of that regular writing to self. Um, but I do feel weird when I don't write. And, and it, was, it, was, it was a good thing. So she said, make sure you write one thing a week. So I, I was like, oh, she's like, make sure you write because you love it. And I said, never in the history of humankind has that actually ever worked. Like, do something you, just because you love it, right? With sure. no external. And she's like, no, no, I really want you to do this. I really want you to write because you love it. And so I said, okay, fine. She said, one thing a week. That's all, I, that's all I'm telling you. That's it. And so... I woke up on January 1st, and I thought, well, I guess I have to write one thing a week now, because it's the new year. Here we are. Yeah. And I promised <laughs> this person and myself, I guess. And I thought, and then I lay in bed and I thought, okay, I'll start on Sunday. <laughs> Let the bargaining begin. Right. Like, if you put it off till Sunday, there's a really big chance you'll forget, or you just won't do it, or something will come up, and then it won't actually happen. So I said, okay, you're going to do it today. You're going to get up and you're going to do it right now. And then I thought... I should probably do it publicly because that way I'm beholden to something outside myself. And I am a person who does enjoy some level of structure, mm. right? Like somebody else saying like, here's your deadline or just like somebody else knowing that it's there so that it's not just me trying to make this habit in my own world. I'm, I'm less good at making the habit in my own world as I am. If I say, okay, I'm putting it out there here. You have it now. Now you're going to help me have it. And sort of externalize those expectations, yeah. even if they really are only internal. Right, yeah. I mean, I mean, this was only for myself. This was an actual, like, labor of love that was beginning. And I didn't really know what it was going to be, and I didn't have a theme, except I thought, well, I'll, I'll write or I'll explore things that I... That bring me joy or, or, or interest or I don't even know. I mean, I, rem- I remember I, I looked over the first one the other day because I was thinking, like... Someone was asking me, they're like, you started it with, without even having a theme? And I was like, it was like, that's... 
even more terrifying than I thought that you what you had done. And I was kind of like, yeah, I don't, I don't really have an idea. I just thought, I'll write this thing and we'll see where it goes. Um, and, and they're short, mostly short, personal essays. Right. Would you say there's a theme now? that has come out of it? Yeah. I mean, I think at the time I thought, you know, I, I could explore, like I could tell you about a song I liked or I could talk about food or a recipe or, I don't know, just sort of anything. It was less a blog and I wanted to be less bloggy and more as, like with the have like some kind of like structural theme or structure structure to the writing itself and as i started writing it did come out that it was more there was a theme and i i just started writing it they became little personal essays and i think the biggest theme for me they've become particularly thematic over the past couple weeks like i feel like i went to some different place with them and i don't and I, I mean, I think in part because when you once you write like forty of them in a row, suddenly it, you get better at something. Do something forty times in a row, and you'll suddenly find that you're a little bit better at it than you were at number one. I think that was a series was a, a way of teaching myself how to write about anything, but maybe one of the hardest things to write about, which is yourself, in a way without making it all about yourself. Mm-hmm. Like saying, now that I've sort of dissected myself and done enough open heart surgery <laughs> in all of these essays. Now, like, how can I put that to use? And I think that's sort of like why when I write about certain things, people go, oh, my God, yes, this 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 is such a powerful feeling. But it's not really necessarily like people write me and they go, are you okay?" Or, wow, you know, what do you need? It's more like this resonates within me because it's like that's I think what I've sort of been slowly trying to figure out how to do is how do you structure it in a way where it feels deeply personal? But it doesn't I don't I mean, I don't really I don't really reveal very many details. If you read them carefully, Mm -hmm. there's not a lot that's actually highly detailed. It's not like people are going to go know where you live. You feel like you have gotten better. Uh, yes. by by the you know the discipline of it just having yeah. to do it every week oh yeah when i read like the early ones i'm kind of like oh i would change a lot about this mm. which is true i think of anybody's writing like sure. you read an older thing you write and wrote and you think whether it's 10 Woof. years ago or last week yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> <Woof>. yeah but um but i i also think that i know i've gotten but i also know like i know I, I, some feel much better than others uh-huh. like when while i'm actively writing them and some are really hard and some are have, I mean, this last week, the one on touch was really difficult to write. It was very hard to get that balance correct. Hard to, uh, okay. So hard to get the balance correct. Not hard to say the things about yourself. That was that hard you too. Said. Okay. Yeah. They were, that felt really, still... that felt really like I am revealing because I think that, that sometimes I do say more about my emotional state than I might otherwise. But I did that one. Like I said, it was kind of a calculated risk, which is, I think saying this is less about oh i i specifically it was less about me writing like i would really like someone to touch me um which is true Mm -hmm. as if like like that like you can make that statement of fact but do you make it in a way that makes the the reader feel like they're there or do you do you make it in a way where you're just like i'm telling you a thing right so the it's it's so much more about what you wrap around that statement yeah and how you say it yeah then, like, if I just was kind of like, sometimes I really miss being touched with affection. That is a true statement. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it has anywhere near the weight or power of saying, like, getting to it in the heart of, yeah. It's it's sort of how do you take someone there emotionally? And sometimes, unfortunately, that requires a lot of, like, you can't, you can't hold yourself back emotionally. But you can do it in a way where it's like once the person's in there, there's enough room for them to see themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's not all just you. I think that's what I mean when I'm saying... I say a lot and they're very personal, but there's also, I try and give space for the reader. So it's not like, oh, all these details are crowding me out. Or like, I feel like you're just confessing something to me and there's no room for me inside this essay. 
So I want there to be room for the reader. So you've definitely, you feel like it has been an act of honing a craft. Um, has it also been personally therapeutic along the way? I don't know. I mean, I, I thought about that. I, I don't think I've like, I think I've battled any demons in the sense of like, this is something I've wanted to try and write about for a really long time. Or I've written about multiple times I don't think I've gotten right. Mm. So I think I've battled, I battled some more of my writerly demons sure. than I have. And also because I don't think that that's the space for me to really work out my real personal stuff. Mm. It doesn't feel like that. It feels like a way to sort of say, here is a... Cons-. I mean, that's not entirely true. I do think there are some things that I've come to a better understanding of about myself. And then I've been able to write about them in a way that feels, like I said, both personal and... Has, I think it started a couple weeks ago where I all of a sudden, so I'm just going to make an aside. I know it's something I haven't done yet. Um, tangential talk, mm-hmm. the Leah Reich way. <laughs> um, but when I, 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 I've done one other project like this once before where I did sort of like a 365 photo project, but it wasn't me just taking pictures of myself, although I have taken a lot of pictures of myself. And I was, it was in the days of Flickr. Mm. This was like, you know, 2008 or 2009. And... It was, it was, it was a really special time actually. Cause yeah. so I, and I had picked up photography in grad school and I thought this was really cool. And I was using it, playing with different cameras and teaching them, learning them and teaching myself. And uh, I did the first like 99 photos. I just took a photo a day, you know, and mm-hmm. they were pretty good. They were just like a lot of random photos. And then one of my friends was a spectacular photographer, Carrie Hartman said, okay, those have been really good. Now push yourself. And I remember thinking like, what is it, what does it mean to take a good picture? Like what, what or what it would it be? And I'm not sure that I actually took a quote-unquote good picture, but it took a much more interesting picture. Mm-hmm. And so I remember a couple of weeks ago, I remember sitting down and thinking like, okay, these have been really good, now push yourself. And I did, and then I thought, oh, this is a new direction. So, I mean, it's it's really been like a... So I think there have been some things I have kind of worked out and, and gotten to know about myself better, um, but I also think that I've gotten to know myself better as at more, more as a writer than as a human, although there have been some good human moments for myself in all of it. But I think the human moments of understanding come before I do the writing, and then that's how I can write them. I mean, I think I wrote 45 essays in a row. I mean, that's like really, truly, once you hit like 39 essays in a row, 38, you've gotten some of the bad ones out, sure. or like less good, yeah, right, yeah, or not right. great. I mean, I don't, I'm not saying like this is the, the masterpiece of my lifetime, and they're all spectacular, exquisite gems, each to be examined. But I think there are some good stuff in there, and... Some stuff that I'm very proud of. Some stuff I would redo. Also, I didn't have an editor. This was all free, me working on my own. I mean, I've had... More and more lately, I'll have, like, a trusted friend or two read one before I I put it up and send me any feedback. Or if, like, I hit, like, a sticky spot, I'll say, like... My friend, I have one friend in particular who will always kind of key into that and he'll be like, I don't like this line. I, I think I'll tell him I hate it too. So we'll sort of talk around it and then... I'll sort of scurry off and then I'll rewrite the end or I'll rewrite the bit and yeah. come back and I'll be like, yep, this is it. So it's sort of like having that friend say, okay, this is good, but no, push, like now it's time to push yourself. Now what? You've got seven left and then uh, do you close the book on Wednesdays? I don't know what to do. I, that's like, that, that's a really tough question. The hardest thing is if there was, everyone's like, kind of like laughing at me because for a while I was like, I can't wait to be done with this. Yeah. Oh, what kind of crazy person writes 53 personal <laughs> essays in a row? <laughs> Seemed like such a good idea. Really <laughs> rethink that one. If you're, if that's your next year's project, yeah. let me just tell you. But, but the problem is, is that I, I have two things. One is I have readers who are really great, uh, mm-hmm. fantastic humans read my stuff. Um, and I'm, wildly grateful for that 
I mean, I feel really fortunate that people read this and they go, this really meant a lot to me or this really touched me or I think this is my favorite one yet. And so that is something that I built by myself, right? Which, I mean, I don't, it's, I don't have a, that, this project is not, so I mean, it's not like when I've written for other publications and they have their whole storied history or, you know, they can, there's a lot of more people reading it. So I built this by myself with very little, I mean, you know, Medium has been very, has been very nice and, and they've, you know included they've tweeted me and sure. so forth and put me on the front page sometimes but and pointed people at your pointed stuff. people yeah. at my stuff but like you know that's and it, and you know that's great um i mean i am one of the most I think, prolific people in medium at this point so that has been wonderful and i'm very thankful for that but I, I mean i would say the bulk of getting people to to love to read me not to love me but to read me at least uh has been me and and i feel like giving that up is stupid so i'm, I'm really torn um, not just stupid, but also it's kind of nice. It's nice to have these this this regular thing mm. and this regular engagement with people. Um, it'd be, it would be nice if it weren't a project for free. That would be nice, too. I don't know how it would change if I were paid, but I'm willing to take that risk. And the other thing um, I think that is hard that I suddenly didn't want to give up was the minute that I sort of... That I felt like they went to a different place. I thought, oh, I finally hit my stride. Like, you have to do something. You know, what is it like? You have to do something at least 20 times before it becomes like a habit and then like like a one and a half billion times before you become any good at it whatsoever right, i think right. those are the approximate numbers yeah, that's about right yeah i felt like i hit these couple essays these recent ones and i thought oh i finally i finally figured out what i'm doing which sounds really crazy when you say it in the, out loud but i really did i finally was like oh i think i finally figured out what i'm doing and now i think i don't want to stop because mm-hmm. now that i I'm I'm getting to a different place. I want to keep seeing where I can get to, yeah. but I also think like it's a lot of work to do for free. A lot. Not quite sure what happens to a year of Wednesdays after you've done a full year of Wednesdays, but uh, this this problem of um, you feel like you've gotten good or are getting good at this thing at this form, and you don't want to give it up. Yeah. How has that changed what you think you want to do? Your the other projects you might want to work on. Um, I would be interested in writing a lot of things that don't have anything to do with me. Mm. I mean, I love I love personal essays. I think they're great. Uh, I think there are some really good ones out there. There are some significantly less good ones out there. I do enjoy writing them, and I I think that I would like to can you know always have the opportunity to write some at some point. But I definitely there are a lot more things that I want to write that I've enjoyed writing in the past, and that I would like to continue working on that are less about me. Like, I don't necessarily know if they're reported more researched pieces, I would say, um, about other topics. And you have been doing some of that mm-hmm. uh, along the way. Yeah. Um, you've been doing freelance work for a while. Uh, how, mm-hmm. is, has that been a regular feature of your life for the past Just a couple of years. years, yeah. Has there been a theme to the freelance work that you've done? Yeah, I think I tend to write most about humans and the ways they connect or don't Hmm. in the ways they communicate or don't um whether in love or friendship or sex or anything and the ways in which technology facilitates that or doesn't right like how it's not i don't necessarily write about technology i write about people but i write about people as filtered through the lens of technology Mm -hmm. an aspect of that was the topic of your master's thesis the one about cyborgs Uh (laughs) uh-huh Yes, um, it's very, you have to be ready for like, it's basically like a big, it's like a 90 page theory wank fest. But if you're into that, 
That's hide. on the website. It's on the website. You can read about um, a couple of texts that uh, I that include cyborgs and androids and uh, my reading of it. And it's, there's a big fat quote from Donna Haraway's mm. The Cyborg Manifesto right up at the front. Let you know what you're in for. It's pretty good. <laughs> um, so, so you've been on this beat for a while. Yeah, well, well, I mean, I... I started meeting people through the internet my freshman year in college, yeah. which we've already established was definitely in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> like for a really long time, I'm really interested in, and this is something I write a lot about and I'm working on some other projects, you know, um, that are in there. I have other projects in the works right now about sure. people and how they meet and why they meet and why they, you know, I mean, I met my best friend in the world on Flickr, the nicest, best person I know with the, the truest heart, probably one of two, and both of whom I've met online. It's been a, a, a great place for you, the internet has. Yeah, there's... Not I mean, without its pitfalls. Yo, know, the internet is... there's a, It's like, basically, it's just like, you know, there's a lot of garbage, and then there's also, like, islands of greatness. But it's sort of like human life, right? Which is, you kind of wander around, and you, you don't... There's, like, seats on the, the train you don't sit on, and... You know, think people things you have to navigate and all kinds of right. stuff. But then, like, there is really beautiful stuff out in the world. And I think part of the problem is that we we tend to see things as like, well, it's technology is terrible, and it's like, no, it's human nature. We're just using technology in a different way. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm really fascinated by it. Like, I'm fascinated by how we do this and why and and what we do. So I'm trying to write about all those sorts of things. When you think about your job as a writer, what do you what are you trying to get at if, if you think that you have a job as a writer so that's a really hard question I think that I my job as a writer is I don't necessarily think it's my job but I think what has come out of my writing the one of the biggest themes is that somebody actually emailed me this the other day and he said I think one of the most powerful things about your writing is a reader who I have your email is in my inbox as marked as unread so I'll remember to write it along with many others I apologize he said that I think one of the the really more powerful elements of your writing is that you make people feel like they're less alone in the world. And I don't necessarily think that is my, I mean, I think every writer is a different job and some choose their jobs perhaps more wisely than those of us who have allowed our jobs to sort of descend upon us. But I, I do think that it's, I'm really, really, really interested in people, both on an individual level and on a big level. And I'm, I like to think about why they do things and how they do them and, and stuff and, I think that makes people feel like there's somebody out there who's who's thinking about them and, and not in a way that has like ulterior motives, like just truly just interested in them as humans. And I think that is what my right. And I think that's what when I say like ethnography gives me a really good base. I don't necessarily think that it helps me that ethnography is why I'm this way. I think it just facilitates it that I can sort of watch people in, in a way that makes me think I'm just really curious about you and the world that you inhabit. And I'd love to learn more. Hmm. And then tell stories about it in a way that feels that 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 resonates you're developing a style and a voice mm -hmm. everyone is kind of all the time oh yes no so like sarah manguso i read sarah manguso's new book recently i had a, a galley of it and it totally made me stop and think about how it, she's she writes personal stuff mm -hmm. right and it's spectacular and i stopped and thought about how do i wanna, how do i want to write some of my subsequent pieces in a way that isn't i don't want i don't want her voice I don't, I don't, I don't read people to think about like, if I just do that, then no, I'm good. I have my voice. Right. I mean, I think that was a really hard moment to come to, which is like, you know, you, you, 
we thirst after other people's success or other people's way of being or other people's voices. That was a, and that was a moment for you. Yeah, I really, I realized I just had to say like I write like me. I'm not saying that I can't. You know, as a writer, you have to be ready to inhabit different styles and ways of writing and ways of being. Like you can't just I can't just write. It's not like I think I can only write personal essays, but I think there will always be a sort of a very Leah element to whatever I write, and that at some point I had to say like. I don't want to copy this person's voice. I don't want to be that person as a writer. I just want to figure out what is it that they do that is really amazing and think about ways in which I can incorporate some of those elements in the way that I write. When was that moment? Could you take out a red pen and circle that on the calendar? I don't know the exact date. I think it was sometime over the past year or two when I just realized it was like, you got to let that go. You you got to let that... You You know, I can read something and just like want to throw it at the wall because it's so good and I think like how do you do that how do you make that sentence and you put on you put on Morrissey singing about how we hate it when our friends become successful and yet... <laughs> but you you made a, a conscious uh I really did I just thought I can't that. you can't you just have to write like you in the best you possible but it doesn't mean you don't incorporate like I'm deeply influenced by like whatever I'm reading that week or that mm. month or what I'm listening to but I'm also influenced by like what I'm listening to who I'm talking to you know am I eating a lot of cheese or not as much cheese? I've been eating a lot of cheese lately. <laughs> the cheese meter is pointing. To, um. Actually, really, I was joking the other day about how I wanted to do another year of Wednesdays, but only write about things as through the lens of cheese. Like, what cheese was I eating? And then, like, what like what path did it take me down? Like, did, was I eating it with someone? So would I write about them? Or cheese as conduit sort of thing? and Or, like, you know, would it would be a history lesson or would it be, like, development of cheese? I don't know. And I was just like... Um, so this led to a lot of great cheese puns about what I could call it. And then, um, <laughs> That's half the fun of it. Oh, cheese puns are great. So our pastry puns, and all puns are good, but not there. I have to take that back. I think I will be drummed out of <laughs> existence. No, but I, I, I really like, I thought about that and I think that it could happen because I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you, I mentioned at the very top of the show that until recently you had been working for a technology firm. Yes, I got laid off. My third layoff in my life. I'm like, a, I'm a veteran at this point. Well, you're not going back to grad school this time. I don't think that's in the cards. <laughs> is it, in, in, unless no, it is. God. No, no, never. I mean, no. Yeah, get another PhD. Um, so you are uh, a crossword. Crossroads is the long, a crossword puzzle. You're at a crossword in your life. No, I'm you. At, I'm at an acrostic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Benghazi. Um <laughs> So you're, I mean, you're at this point in your life where yeah, nobody likes to lose a job and, and that can be terrifying and all kinds of emotions, yep. but it can also be an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Where do you think you might be headed that you can talk about with this <laughs> with my, opportunity? Uh, I'm working on some, some projects that are interesting and exciting. Um, so I'm, I'm working on some proposals. I'm working on some pitches. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully going to be, there will be more writing of mine, I think, coming out in the coming weeks, hopefully. Um, so, I, I mean, it's less about like, can I, there's, there's not a lot of public announcements I have sure. right now. Okay. Um, and I'm also, I'm, I'm, I'm also in the, the process of what do I take a full-time job if I do? I mean, I should, because I'm, you know, I'm a writer. So, <laughs> and I, you know, I should also have a full-time job at some point, but I, it's also nice. Cause I have a little bit of time to think like, what do I want to do and how do I want to do it? You know, layoffs are, are scary and hard. Actually, I'm thinking about writing about that. Well, yeah. if, it's, if it's right in front of you. Yeah. Write your way through it, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. that that's actually was like a, when I was talking about like writing your way through something. But yeah, I don't know. I, I Where am I going? Um, I'm, I'm, I mean, are you ever tempted to just like retreat to the woods for a while? 
Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm taking a, a trip that I had that is coming up, mm-hmm. uh, and it's sort of opportune because I'm not working, so I don't have to, right. you know, I can just be gone. I can write from wherever. Um, so I'll be I'll be out away for a week or so coming up, and um, it, it's sort of like taking the opportunity to write um, and to get things together and to figure out exactly what do I want to do rather than sort of that, that panic of I have to do something right away, which yeah. I'm sure will set in and does set in like on, you know, a semi-regular basis, but trying to like keep it at bay long enough to think, okay, exactly how do I want to structure this? You want to save that panic until just when you're trying to fall asleep. Yeah. That's yeah. Or like five in the morning or like, like four 30 is yeah. like, that's a good time. That's my favorite time for that the panic panicking actually. Hour, yeah. Yeah. Super good time. <laughs> <laughs> if you were looking for the next full-time job you know is there a thing that you really would love for that to be you definitely involve writing Mm -hmm. i I mean i think that's the thing that you know it's it's hard because there's that part of me that says you love writing if you made it your job would you still love it and i don't know but i also know that uh, i love writing i like editing i think i am i could do a job that was a mix of both i don't know if i could just do editing but I also, I don't know if, I, I mean, I think, so I think something that involves a lot of writing and editing and also storytelling, a lot of storytelling, um, which sounds really, but I, because I just, I really like the ways in which people can tell stories. It's not just like, I'm, I'm not a, I don't want to be a, I think reporting is a form of storytelling, mm. but I think there's ways in like, you know, whether it's public media or, I mean, sorry, public radio or like podcasting or different ways in which you're telling, you're, you're encouraging people to tell stories, you're finding stories to tell. And they're not, I think that's one of the big, the great things about the year of Wednesdays is that I thought. There, I'm nowhere near enough interesting to write 53 essays about myself. I mean, I'm just not. And then it turns out that if you figure out ways of telling stories, um, you can tell an almost unlimited number of stories about almost anyone, right? Including yourself. I mean, believe me, I can talk. We all know I can talk a lot <laughs> about myself. But I do think that like there's ways in which how do we tell these stories? And there's so many people's stories, and there's so many stories to tell. So that kind of thing is really interesting. Uh, are you the kind of person who would be helped by having someone else give you a regular, say, weekly assignment? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think I've had like a regular column, which is, you know, things that I've looked into. I I think it's that's a different type of a challenge. I know people who are columnists go, go sometimes I've, I've talked to people who are columnists and they're like, yeah, after a while it gets to be kind of a slog because you're like, what, what am I going to write You really get week? to the bottom of the barrel. Right. Yeah. But I mean, look, I wrote about myself almost 50 times in a row. <laughs> Yeah. Right. I mean, I basically had a regular. I have like it was like like yes. the Leah column. You gave yourself a column. I gave right. myself a column, and I did it for almost. I've done it for almost a year now. I'm like, oh, now that I'm getting. Be- I mean, I think you just have to accept that like some of your columns are going to be better than others, and some of them are going to be really compelling, and some of them much less so. It's if if you if you can figure out how to write it, you can do get it done. So yeah, I would totally do a regular column. If there's something you had an excuse to go write about right now, if you, if you could say, I'm really been, I'm chewing on this, and I really well, I've been chewing on a lot of things. I have like a whole list of things that I'm working mm. on, but. I can't just tell them and then other people go and write okay. about them. Sure. <laughs> you thrive from interacting with people and seeing people and, and you know, for like learning a couple for, of hours at a time. And then yeah. I have to go. But home then you have to go. Away. So you have you, you, there are I'm a know. recharger. I'm yeah. a big recharger. Yeah, I'm like, OK, this has been a lot of fun human interaction. And now I have to go sit at home where it's quiet and nobody bothers. So me. I so I guess I've, I've had you in here for an hour and 45 minutes now and, and you'll have to go recover from this experience. We'll have to go answer a bunch of emails and ah. and do work. Um, and then probably tonight I'll just like lie on the sofa for an hour and like refresh Twitter. And, and eat cheese. So it's better for. It's interacting <laughs> it really without interacting. It is. Or it's just like watching people interact and go, why am I doing this? I should do something else. And, and, now then, you and can... then falling asleep on the sofa. 
you can uh, you can frame the cheese as uh, also a writerly endeavor. Research. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I am really trying to figure out what I want to do and and where I want to do it and um, with whom. And I think it's it's I think it's this is what I want to write about is that it's it's really losing your job is really unnerving, but it, it's also sort of really exciting. And I think you have to let yourself. It's like doing anything that's new and exciting and full of like like something that especially unexpected. It's sort of like. I'm not somebody who's just like, all right, it's going to be great. Everything's going to be super. And we're just going to keep plowing forward and ignoring anything bad. I think, but I think what I'm learning over the past few weeks, especially is that like, sometimes you just, you have to let yourself feel the scary feelings and you have to let yourself feel the excited feelings and experience both of them. Mm. And then sort of be there. In yeah. It. Be it. Like it's, it's, I mean, I know someone once said it's like, you know, it's like surfing, which I'm a terror. I'm not a good swimmer. So I'm certainly don't surf. Oh. Um, but what I mean is to say like, the more you struggle, the more it pulls you, like the waves will pull you down. So you can't struggle. Like if you crack, like you fall or you're in the water or anything, you just have to, you have to both experience the, the great part of standing up and then not struggle when it tries to pull you down. And so I think like that's, that's something that has been really fun with like a number of things that have happened over the past weeks, layoff and some other things. Mm-hmm. Is that like, just don't struggle because it's going to, those bad things are going to happen anywhere. Those scary feelings. And that will just make them worse and that will make you less able to grab hold of the really great ones, like the next wave that comes, yeah. right? Um, this is a terrible metaphor. I can't believe I'm saying it all out loud, but I'm hoping that it's hitting home for somebody. Yeah. <laughs> Making people feel less alone. I mean, you seem like you're handling all of the bad feelings pretty well. Oh, well, I mean, I have really bad days. Mm. I mean, this morning was like a little bumpy. Yeah, I mean, but I am I, really trying to say like, I really, I really do think that there is this thing, this moment where it's like, Rather than sort of shove all the bad feelings away or pretend they're not there or stuff them down. It's just like, all right, I'm feeling them, breathe through them, and then pull yourself up. And then, yeah. like, because I, this the, over the past week, I finally learned that, like, if if you just stay hunkered down or you try and force them or away or you freak out about them. I, I mean, I just, I don't, th- maybe it's just, this could just be me, but it's also like, I might not, I, if I'm struggling so much with the bad stuff, will I be able to grab the good thing that comes along? Yeah. And once you like every new thing that that you experience, whether it's like a bad thing or a good thing or a combination of both is going to have bumps and like really amazing parts and really terrible parts, um, relatively speaking. Right. And so if you're constantly just like if I'm constantly struggling and saying, like, I just have to like, why? What, what if it's what if it's bad? Then I, I don't recognize the good. And that's where I, you know, I, I think it goes wrong. So I'm, I'm trying to, like, recognize the, the fun and exciting and good things throughout this whole experience while also recognizing that it's super, super scary to lose your job. It really sucks. But got to make the best of it and, yeah. you know, either find a new job or figure out what you're going to do. I mean, it's scary. There, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Getting laid off every single time has been hard in a different way. There are ways in which it's difficult that you forget or you don't know or you might not recognize or you've you don't you're not familiar with until you experience it um but i mean there's other good stuff happening too sure well thank you for coming in and talking about the good stuff the bad stuff and the in-between stuff and how you got here thank you brock this has been super fun my guest today has been leah reich a writer who lives in berkeley publishes all over Uh, i think it is safe to expect more great things from her in the not too distant future even if she can't tell us about them yet you can keep up with her work at www.leahreich.com. You can keep up with this show, The Eastern Shore, at tespodcast.com. That's where you can find all of my previous interviews with East Bay people who are 
doing, making, building, all kinds of things up to and including a better world. Again, that's tespodcast.com. This has been The Eastern Shore. I have been and continue to be Brock Winstead. Thank you for listening. Let's do it again next week. One more thing. If you missed my introduction at the top of this show, that was a rebroadcast of my interview with Leah Reich from last November. I replayed it today because it was just announced that Leah is restarting her Ask Leah advice column now to be published at The Verge on TheVerge.com. The first column isn't officially up yet, but keep an eye out for that soon. Coming up now on BFF.FM, best